Hey everyone, uh, Ben here, Bees with Ben, and here I am today with Nicholas Bishop from the London Honey Company, and he's the commercial director, and he's at the other side of the world, I am super excited to have him, thanks for um, for joining us there, Nick. Hi Ben, thank you, yeah. a pleasure. Awesome, yeah, no, thank, thank you so much, I really appreciate your time, because I know over there, it's springtime and everything's starting to fire up. Uh, over oh, yeah, it's the, all kicking out. It's yeah. all kicking up. So, um, so, yeah. so, so how's it been? Obviously, we've got a bit of a uh, this COVID nineteen, but um, we won't talk about that. But as far as you know, what's what are you guys doing as far as honey production and you know, tell us uh, how many hives you're on the go at the moment and so forth. Okay, so uh, we're primarily a, the London Honey Company. Primarily is a beekeeping business. We have approximately four hundred hives, so not massive, but we do specialize in. Uh, uh, single variety honey. So we move our hives all over uh, England and Wales, and we do a bit of Scottish honey as well, uh, just to try and get and offer customers the most widely available varieties of honeys that the, the landscapes have to offer, as we say. Uh, we go from, like right now, we are taking off the first of the spring honey, which will mostly be coming off uh, some in like when we in the apiaries that are close by to uh, mono, monocultures in a way, we'll have uh, rapeseed oil, which is on the main ones. Field bean is starting out now, string field bean in particular. Uh, and then we'll have some of the wilder varieties, which we'll have mostly, uh, if we're lucky enough, we'll get dandelion honey. Uh, and uh, in like, especially in the counties up north, like in Shropshire and so on, we'll get lots of honeys like hawthorn honeys. These are all amazing honeys. Like rapeseed honey is uh, one of the signatures honey in the UK. It's been around for years and years. It is mostly monoculture, so there's some bad connotations to it. But in the flavor and the texture in particular are pretty good. The texture is one of those honeys that you'll we'll, we gently cream in order to get the crystals nice and thin. So it's perfect for kids to just dig into the buckets or the spoonful or to spread on toast, as it were. Um, the Hawthorns and the other ones are a bit more sophisticated. Like the Hawthorn is quite caramelly like, it's a bit darker, uh, beautiful texture as well. But then you go into the dandelion, which can be a bit of a hit or miss in the sense that it's a beautiful honey, amazing flavor, but it's got a very stinky smell. Uh, so yeah, you can have any kind of honey really. But then, I mean, the, the fancy bit, the exciting bit starts off later on when we, uh, when we get into, we get our teeth into the season and we'll start seeing all the trees, the bigger trees flowering. So we'll have all the limes, all the chestnut trees, uh, and uh, our beekeeping season culminates with uh, the heather moves. Heather moves are basically when we move the majority of our hives and driving through the night. I'm sure you in Australia do plenty of that. Yes. And uh, we move our bees up to either. So it depends really on how the, the, the season progresses. But uh, last year we went to Yorkshire, which is high up in the north of England and to Shropshire, and we take the bees up on the hills, and this, these are the, the heather moors. So they're basically uh, monofloral uh, hills of ling heather, which is the uh, Caluna vulgaris, is the Latin name, and uh, they're like mini shrubs. They've got these pinky little flowers, and the honeys will go nuts on them. The only problem with this crop is that the temperatures are quite low up there, so, and there's so many variables, like there needs to be abundant rain for the months before the crop and the uh, temperature has to be just right for the day. And then you need lots of sun when the bees are up there. 
which not always is not always the case. In fact, last year we had a terrible crop, and we only came back with a couple of boxes uh, from more than a hundred hives, which was quite uh, uh, it got quite the uh, quite catastrophic. But but it's the business, I guess, right? You get amazing crops from something else, and uh, not very good crops from others. But the the main thing I was going to say about the link header, and that's why I've focused so much on it, is because it's a uh, majority of the hesamores are found in the UK. So I think it's about 70 or 80% of them are, are worldwide moors. Uh, and that means that the UK signature honey is actually Ling Heather, which in a way, a lot of people in this country like to say, oh, it's a bit like our own Manuka. Yes. Uh, it has nothing okay. to do with Manuka, frankly. Okay, yeah. uh, it, It's just got that cyclotropic element. It has some, it's got some uh, micro activity in it, uh, but not as much as Manuka honey, as it were. Yeah. But, they're all delicious, Ben. I wouldn't know what to say. What to, I wouldn't know what to, which one to say is my favourite, really. Okay. And as far as the the heathers, are they the, the flowers? Are they do they yield well? Like you know, obviously it varies from season to season, yep. as you just mentioned. But when they yield, are you sort of getting you know twenty thirty kilos per hive per year or per? Uh, okay, so heather um, we can get we get like a July heather, which is a bell heather, which is mostly in the south of England, and that you can easily get. You can easily get 30, 30 kilos of hive easily. Okay. Okay. Uh, but you can also miss it. I mean, if the temperature's not right and the, the rain's not right, you'll, you'll just not have a crop. Uh, in the Ling Heather, the maximum we've had since I've been uh, working with the London Honey Company, which is about six years, we've, uh, we've had about two boxes, which is around 30, 40 kilos in a way. Yeah. Uh, and that's the most we've had. But then, I mean, as I said last year, we had two frames, two frames on each hive, and that was about it. Wow! Uh, so it is a difficult crop, yeah. But it's beautiful. But when you when you get the the honeycomb frames and you pull them out, we a lot of our customers are uh, hospitality and restaurant industry. I mean, they were before the COVID nineteen. Yes. But they they we would give them these amazing honeycombs, and they would just cut them up and put them on cheese boards, like in the cheese selections, a bit of uh, like green apple and uh, the ling heather comb. And because it's fixed with tropic, like the manuka just sits, yeah, it's like a jelly, jelly just sits there and it's got this really dark red amber color and people just love it. Like it's wow. great. The flavor is super, yeah. I, I saw the um, the Fat Duck, um, which is Heston and Blumethal's yep. restaurant. Also, they use a lot of your honey, the London Honey Company. They, yeah, 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 they used to do, yeah, they used to be one of our big clients. Yeah, they used to be. But we do a lot. I mean, okay, he's he's one of the most famous ones, but we do lots of the, the London, London Michelin star hotels, uh, restaurants, sorry. Uh, and they, they work really well. And they, they want, they, I mean, they're the key customers for us, really, because they, they can afford to pay what the honey's worth. Yes. Okay. Yep. We, and uh, that's crucial, I think, in this industry where you actually find yourself, I'm pretty sure, with, I mean, the recent crisis in Australia as well, like, you find often yourself competing with people that are just importing honey. Yes. And that's uh, exactly the same here. I mean, the UK is one of the biggest importers uh, of cheap, cheap honey. I'm not going to say from where, but uh, it's quite obvious. It's always the same places. Yes, yes, <laughs> but uh, yep. yeah, so, so for us, it's crucial that we we have these customers that really value and want to add value to their own dishes uh, using British produce um, and high quality British produce. Yeah. Yes, and, and as far as the honey yeah. go, is there one uh, particular one that you like, Nick? Like, is there a like? Are you always oh, yeah. that's your go-to honey? Okay, so my favorite, uh, they change every year, I think, depending on the season, because we, 
So we do lots of single varieties. I think we've got about 15. Okay. Uh, and they, some of them are divided by, like, obviously, monofloral sauce. And monofloral's will always be monofloral. There'll be more pure, maybe, or less pure one year because of some something happened out in nature. But generally speaking, they're all quite similar. Um, widely different between each other, but we're all quite similar when you come down to the variety. Uh, but the, the best ones for me are always the geographical origins because every year they'll change in a way that has everything and all to do with the, how the weather and the nature's going. Yeah. So one year, I don't know, it's, uh, it rained a bit more, so the, dandel- the dandelions were stronger. So you get a polyfloral honey, so where everything is quite smooth and works all together in a balance, but the dandelion will come out. So you'll have uh, this... Uh, uh, this typical flavor that pops out at the end. And one of the ones that particularly liked from last year was the, our Kent summer honey from uh, an old county estate uh, close to Ashford in the south of England. And that had, uh, it was a polyfloral honey. Uh, so lots of wildflower nectars. So you're not really able to distinguish when it comes down to wildflower yes. unless there's something specific. But it had this finishing end that came quite clearly from sweet chestnut and sweet chestnut uh, i'm sure you've had it before it's uh, it's a it's quite a complex flavor you'll find all sorts of notes in there from uh, uh bitter is the obvious one that comes to mind when you think of chestnut okay. but also it goes uh, i don't know it also nearly has a plasticky woody aromatic note and this this kent honey had had like a a very aromatic note to end with it and it was just perfect so that was my favorite honey for 2019. Uh, okay. But then the, the year before that, it was the Salisbury Plain honey from the Salisbury Plain, which is this massive uh, geographical area in uh, the Wiltshire border. Let's say where Stonehenge is. Everyone knows Stonehenge. Uh, and that's uh, it's a huge area that in the, I think the 1950s, if I'm not wrong, was uh, closed off from public access and became uh, Ministry of Defense land. Uh, which meant that basically no, no cars or anything like that are allowed on this whole land, okay. and it's not farmed. This means that the it's the largest chalky area in Europe, so you have all these floral varieties which are very specific to that area, and uh, uh, it, every every year slightly changes, obviously. But uh, you the 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 key notes are sweet clover, which is yellow meliot meliot. Uh, and uh, samphine, and these two together make for an amazing honey. And last year, the sam, uh, the meliot was so strong that you nearly got like a cinnamony note out of this honey, which made it just fantastic. Yeah. Wow! And as far as Nick, obviously yeah. you're familiar with our um, eucalyptus honeys in, in Australia. Yeah. What what, how, yeah. what are you, what are your thoughts on them? Because these honeys, I've tried a lot of these honeys, and and thank you for your time a couple of years ago for showing me the uh, facility because it was awesome to see. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, absolutely incredible just to see yeah. what you guys do there. But but so us in Australia, we've got, you know, 600 different yeah. types of eucalyptus and all very robust and strong and pretty forward yeah. on the palate. Uh, what's your thoughts yeah. on sort of eucalyptus honeys and, and these sort of native Australian, even manuka for that matter? What are your thoughts on them? Okay. I mean, I I personally, I, I'm a big, big fan of strong honeys. I really appreciate the eucalyptus and the variety of them. Um, we, I mean, we've got we've got some level of eucalyptus in Europe, uh, which are mostly imported, I think, for their wood. 
more than anything else. Uh, and they're all quite similar, but not of the same purity. So whenever, I mean, like recently we went straight in New Zealand and uh, we had a good batch, a good amount of Manuka honey to taste. And I must say that I absolutely adored uh, the Manuka I had out there. So okay. I think that the, the Manuka you get on the, is it the West Coast that you get on? And, uh, was uh, pretty, is probably pretty amazing. The eucalyptus honey, I mean, they've got quite, I don't, I don't know, I haven't tried them all. I've tried a good amount from um, from Jody. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and and uh, I, I was impressed by how many. Like, it's incredible how they change and how one is more fruity, one is more. Uh, it was literally, I was really, really fascinated by the whole thing. I wanted to buy them more. Uh, but I think that they're particularly, I mean, they're particularly good honeys. They're particularly good honeys. The, the, the wilderness you've got in Australia makes for, great semi like organic honeys in a way which uh, it's a last that we don't have in the UK because we, we can't call any of our honeys organic the honeys produced here because we're, we're too industrialized as a country okay. so there, we're never any no hives are never too close okay. or too far let's say from uh, they say this is what the organizations say wow. uh, so we're always too close to some kind of pollution this is true but only marginally I think because we as a company, we try and keep our hives always in like green pockets all over the country, trying to stay away as much as possible from farming. But farming is so well established in this country, and uh, which is it is very difficult. And so, any organic honey, like as the London Honey Company, we import our own organic honey, uh, registered with the Soil Association in this country, which is the the association with the highest standard. Uh, and uh, it's uh, an Zambian organic honey from um, uh, from the Miombo forest. Okay. Uh, which is something that, be, I mean, yeah, Bees for Development helped to import many, many years ago. Okay, yep. And it's, uh, it's a fabulous honey. I mean, I think it's, it's even stronger than the eucalyptus honeys. Wow. And it's, okay. uh, it's, it's particularly popular in the UK with um, uh, Muslim communities uh, and people that are uh, the ones that like stronger honeys. But generally speaking, European honeys are actually lighter, I would say, as a whole. They're lighter than uh, Australian honeys and uh, under many world honeys, actually. Uh, obviously, there's a good balance of both, okay? But yes. uh, on, on, the, on the whole, uh, I know that our bestseller, our bestseller in the UK, I know of other bestsellers around Europe, they're always the lighter, the lighter honeys. Uh, in particular, let's say, I don't know, in Italy, the most expensive honey, which is often led by the demand for it, is an acacia honey. Yes. Uh, the, in the UK, it's borage or oxfordshire honeys which are all quite light and floral honey uh, whereas uh, there's only a limited amount of people that will be interested in the stronger flavors like the ling heathers and uh uh yeah the diamond for example or or a lot of the funny thing that we, i find quite interesting it's a lot to do with uh, how you were brought up as a person in the sense that okay. you know in italy a lot of people they'll know straight away what which is their favorite honey uh so, and it's often to do with what they were fed when they were kids. So in Italy, everyone, like especially in the north, everyone will know that they want the chestnut honey. Yes. And that's what they what they feel like is the real honey. And anything else is a bit, uh, yeah, not, not real. And in the same way, I feel that a lot of people here in the UK, they like uh, a lime blossom honey or something that's had some oilseed rape in it, which is what they relate to be the, the childhood honey or something they had when they were kids. 
So that's I think that's quite it's a bit of a social study there for you. Interesting. It's quite fascinating, really. Yeah. That's, that's I'm really sure it's the same for you guys, right? It is, yeah, it is. That, that's so true, <laughs> depending on sort of where where we sort of grow, uh, grew up from, uh, for sure. You know, I think we're sort of very familiar yeah. with, you know, the red gum eucalyptus here is one, you know, it's a, that, well, yeah, really sort of robust honey that, that people love. And um, so you're, you're born in uh, Italy, uh, Nick. So so, yep. you're, so the honey's in Italy. Obviously, you just sort of mentioned then, you know, in the north there, those sort of chestnut honeys. Now, for those... They're listening in. Those, those chestnuts, honeys are really quite quite dark and robust, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, chestnut honeys are quite difficult difficult crop again in the sense that uh, a few years ago there was a little insect that was basically destroying all the flowers of the chestnut honeys. So okay. there was no no honey for a couple of years. The government inter- intervened and changed all that, but. Um, Yes, yeah, so the honey are on the strong spectrum. They're really aromatic. Uh, they're red, like dark red, amber. They've got like an amazing color because when you put them in a wine glass, which is how we like to do honey tastings, we you can see the red notes coming through. It's uh, like it's amazing. Yeah, you can't stop staring at it. And the, the the great thing about it is that it's a very slow crystallizer. So if it's in purest purity, it won't crystallize for a long, long time, if ever, actually. Um, which is which is amazing. The flavour starts off quite quite sweet, uh, but then the aroma kicks in straight away, and they'll go a bit all over from wood, yeah, like wo- woody flavour uh, to resinous, uh, and then you nearly get like burned plasticky notes. Uh, so some people think that there's something wrong. I got a customer. We've got some sweet chestnut pockets in Kent, as I told you, and we got a customer a few weeks back calling. Saying that they they wanted to return their honey because there was really? something wrong with it, <laughs> and we we're like, and I was like, I'm so sorry, uh, the honey's perfect. Like, you're welcome to keep it back, and we'll we'll swap it for you. Uh, but it's absolutely prime honey, so there's nothing wrong with the honey. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, the honey is uh, it's something that we produced as well in um, close to where I grew up in Tuscany, and uh, it's yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing honey. Yeah, totally. And, and as far as um, the, the honeys from around the world, so you guys, yep. you, London Honey Company, also import some honey from certain countries and so forth. You sort of touch base yeah. on that. So, so where's sort of the countries that, you know, sort of the, you know, the the prime honeys that's really sort of coming through and people are enjoying and, and the stories okay. behind them? Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, so the um, we do... Under the London Honey Company brand, we only do British. And then the big part of the business is doing own label collections for customers all over the world. Uh, in line with this, we try and, over the years, I think we've uh, we've uh, achieved uh, quite some status on this section. And we, we try and put together collections from uh, Europe, worldwide, or and try and cover each continent as much as possible, really, just to give everyone a bit of representation. And even, each and every state, you know this better than me, has their own unique honey, and there's uh, you can't replicate it in any way. Like, and there's nothing you can do uh, except for buying it and uh, offering it to your customers as a, as a lovely selection. So right now we've uh, we've done like for example, the, I was working on a collection like last week, and we were doing let's say honey from Europe. We were looking at uh, so a typical, so typical Italian honey would be the chestnut we just talked about. Then we will go on to uh, uh, Portuguese is 
Portugal is an amazing honey country and they produce some amazing honey. We particularly like the wild lavender honey that we try and take. And these are like, um, that obviously there's different types of wild lavender, but the one lavender that we get is uh, lavanduline and uh, comes from uh, these, not, not mountaintops, but quite high altitudes. And the honey's got this uh, yellow greeny color and the flavor is incredibly floral. Uh, but the story, uh, the story behind it is what makes it beautiful. And it's like the honey is produced in these plains and at high altitude where you'll get these uh, eagles flying around and loads of wildlife all, the, all over the place. And people just, I mean, it just take you, when you have a spoonful and talk about this, uh, people are like transported back to that. So they, it's kind of a way to escape your urban environment in a way and any everyday problems you have. Uh, then we, uh, we don't have anything from France, but we're currently working on uh, honey from uh, Eastern Europe. I mean, traditionally, I think probably, I'm not sure about you guys, but a lot of the honeys from Eastern Europe are either acacia honeys, which we have in stock, and it currently uh, it changes in between coming from Serbia, Romania, or Hungary, depending on uh, the season. Uh, these are honeys that we buy because they're very low in crystallization, so very low, very low in glucose content compared to uh, fructose, and this means that they're perfect uh, when working with uh, chunk honeycomb, when you put honeycomb inside the jar, and it means they're very slow crystallized and they are nice and light. We call them water white colors, and they're perfect for additions as well. So we we recently launched the spice edition, and it had. Uh, like vanilla infused and uh, chipotle pepper infused and cinnamon sticks infused. And that was just perfect using a case of honey from uh, Eastern Europe. Wow. Uh, and then we've, uh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's amazing. I'm, I'm absolutely in awe of, you know, all these honeys, you know, coming from around around the world and just the way you talk about them, Nick, you know, it's almost like there's this romance and particularly educating people, you know, of the, yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. there's a honey wheel, and, and the, all these flavors notes, as you're talking about, sort of resinous, uh, woody, you know, tobacco f- yeah. flavors, you know, lucerne, grassy type notes. It's um, yeah. which is really good, and it's becoming more popular. You know, these you know, people want to yeah. know where their honey's coming from, and it's you know, and your what I love what you guys are doing is is the stories. You know, there's a stories. It's not just a honey that's coming out of a beehive. It's where those yeah. bees are and where, you know, the beekeepers, you know, who look after them and so forth. So so because you've got a, quite a few beekeepers that, that obviously help because you know four hundred hives, that's a lot of lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, we've got uh, we've got two teams, more or less. Uh, the beekeepers vary throughout the season, but there's more or less four throughout. I mean I, I started off as a beekeeper and moved on to other base, other uh, sectors, sections of the business. But beekeeping, is, we, we, we work quite strongly to keep it the fundamental part of the business in a way, because that's um, brands come and go. Uh, but the bees are always there, and they always need to be managed. So, uh, And they're strongly seasonal, as we all know. So you can't ignore that. And when it's warming season, you've got to be there. Like You can't just say, oh, sorry, there's COVID-19. Like, yes. The beekeepers have not, have not stopped working uh, throughout, and they luckily it's kind of a self-isolated job in a way. Yes, yes. So it, it, it actually works uh, okay so far. Uh, but yes, I mean, we've... Um, I mean, sometimes I feel like... I mean, 
to, I would like to go back in time and go beekeeping all over the world, come to Australia and beekeep. And uh, that's something that would be amazing. And uh, I mean, recently we went to New Zealand and that's one of the beekeepers that we work with in New Zealand is, um, is based in Murchison in the South Island. And he, he makes this uh, amazing Manuka honey, which is not the like super high, uh, high MGO Manukas that everyone's wild about right now. Uh, which I kind of learned actually are a bit of a, uh, I don't know, a bit of a nightmare to achieve actually because all their levels, uh, you need to get all hit all these markers, and in order to yes. hit them all, it nearly feels like they're the government and the authorities are pushing you uh, towards blending honeys, which is what we're all against, really. Yeah, exactly. Every honey should be unique, and uh, it uh, it feels just wrong, really. Uh, but that's what they have to do, I guess, to improve to keep their quality going, especially in the eyes of uh, foreign countries that have high demand for their products, so uh, I guess it's a different industry in a way. But uh, yeah, from, from we get the beechwood honey, which is amazing as well, from uh, from the South Island in New Zealand, and that is has been offered in the UK under private label for a few customers, and it's uh, hugely hugely popular. But right now, we landed two really good ones. Then, and they were one was a Madagascan eucalyptus honey. Yes, which is a, it's a it's a, it's a not eucalyptus impurity, but it's quite close. So it's got the typical uh, eucalyptus notes, which are like caramelly, and then you've got this nearly scent of like in Italian we say it's an it's a it's a scent of dried mushrooms because okay. it's uh, we relate to that quite a lot. Yes, um, um, and the honey is amazing, and it comes from um, this company called Ilanga, and they they basically have these trucks have been converted so they can actually extract honey. Uh, on the go, so they just go to the apiary, turn up to the apiary, they've custom-made trucks, and the honey's cropped there and then and ends up in the barrels. Uh, and uh, they've, they've done a lot of work in, uh, in selecting different monoflorals from around Madagascar. Okay. And uh, it's pretty beautiful stories. You should, you should have a look at it because it's really, like, it's good. It's like, then they, they're really trying to achieve something there. Uh, and uh, the other one that we recently found was uh, Chilean uh, Ulmo honey, which is something that we've been looking for a while. And uh, and it's great because it, it is one of the signature honeys of Chile. So for it to some of our customers here in the UK. Okay, wow. Well, hopefully, uh, but, yeah, sorry, you're going. No, 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 I mean, I can go on for hours. Yeah, oh, no, <laughs> so, I, I absolutely love it. Like, I'm just absolutely <laughs> in awe. It's, you know, I love it when people are passionate. And I just love the fact that, you know, so passionate about honeys and just the way you're talking from different countries. And um, and obviously, hopefully, this uh, COVID-19 all, all sort of um, slows down or finishes up or they create a vaccine or do what they're going to do to make yeah. it go away. But next year, we've got Apimondia in Russia. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing you again, Nick. And it'll be amazing. Have you had much to do with honey in Russia? Is there anything that you sort of? Um... Um, we we I haven't. I know of some batches that were had amazing stories. Like they were they were made in there's honeys from a specific mountain that were made in tree trunks rather than hives, and they were harvests from wild colonies, uh, and those were. Pretty, pretty incredible, but I didn't have the luxury of tasting any of those, unfortunately. Uh, and I, and then there was one, but wasn't it wasn't Russian? It was uh, one of the more Central Asian countries, and they they're trying to to push quite a few of their honeys. Like they've got like a white clover honey, uh, 
But a lot of these countries are trying to approach the international market with using a similar strategy to the New Zealanders for the Manuka because they managed to achieve that size. So high value, uh, which it, which I find is great because it's uh, good to add value to to products that really deserve it and really need yeah need the extra dollar as it were. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, I feel maybe some people are pushing it a bit too much. And I mean, yeah, I mean we need to remember the beekeepers, and often beekeepers are not. Uh, it's quite a mo- it's quite a modest job, uh, right? It's a bit quite. It's it's about being. No, it's about humility and uh, responsibility towards the bees, and yeah, it's, the educational side is crucial. Uh, it's not so much about the money making in a way. Of course, that's important, but there's so many other factors that uh, that take over, right? You're not beekeeper to make loads of money. You're beekeeper to uh, to work with bees, be out in the countryside, and uh, yeah, make some amazing products. Really, exactly. <laughs> I totally agree, Nick. It's, yeah. it's a labour of love, you know, when you're working with bees, and it's and it's not easy work. A lot of people think, you know, there's that obviously there's a certain romance working with bees, but you know, you're working in the elements. You, as you're saying, you've, yeah. you guys got to move your hives and follow them up the UK into Scotland. That that's not like driving around the corner. That's a that's a long <laughs> and, and hours of yeah. you know driving and, and the, the physical component of working the bees and managing the bees. You just mentioned, you know, it's swarming season now. There's no there's no going, you know what, you know, time time's over, I'm gonna go have a snooze or go on holiday. Yeah. It's when when the job's on that's it's on. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and as far as you know, speaking about bees, you know, what's the biggest challenges you know coming other than the environmental side of things being the weather? Uh, the hardest part okay. with, with the bees beekeeping in the UK, like you know, pests and diseases is uh, in there that's sort of it's, it's sort of harder to manage, or it's sort of there's struggles. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, as as you know, I mean, beekeeping, as you, as you just said, in a way, it's. Uh, most of the challenges are the same all over the world because it's much of a it is a global industry, the one of bees and uh, and queens. Unfortunately, uh, we've had um, I mean paralysis virus has been quite quite an issue. Luckily for this year, we haven't seen any at all, so that's really positive. Okay. Uh, but there has been I mean now and then uh, queen failure has been an issue that pops up here and there. So we as a company try and mix mix our genetic pool of bees as much as possible so we'll work with breeders in this guy the night you know the the british black bee was basically eradicated from the countries in the 70s and 80s so uh, we have been working ever since to create a new british bee with brother adam and the buckfast uh, bees which i think are uh, quite widely used in, in europe at least uh, but that said it is um, it is a mongrel. It's a, it's a mix of genes that you come from all over the place. So right now in the UK, there isn't really a black bee, except for specific islands where they're purely bred and there's not much influence from abroad. Uh, but we, we try and uh, we import some of our queens from uh, like island-mated queens from Denmark, okay. which is quite a big producer and quite a fundamental one for this country. A lot of the queens come from Italy uh, and from mainland Europe. But that's like, just to give you an idea of the queen issue. So now and then there are some issues where like the queens won't be fertilized properly. And so like this year in particular, there was a high percentage of uh, hives that of, of queen failure, which meant that uh, a lot of the hives subsided to the winter season. Uh, we have had, uh, yeah, the second issue would be the the paralysis virus. But then the other issue, especially in an urban, urban environment, which is one of the, the sectors where we operate, let's say, is that there's a, 
in a way, lots of people want to keep bees. And, um, and in cities, we've seen a huge rise of people that want to have hives. Not so much even people, but companies that for their corporate social responsibility want to do something for the environment. And that's great. Uh, but what we've uh, tried to enforce with our customers is that if you want hives, you also need to feed them. Because right now in, in London only, we've had uh, we've got more than 5,000 hives, which is higher, a lot higher than the national average. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and, uh, basically, there's, there isn't enough food for these hives. So there's been, there have been lots and lots of cases of uh, hive starvation. Uh, and so it is quite crucial that people people plant and there's some people out there doing a great job by they're really by they're planting loads of trees and wildflowers and seed bombs uh, and so on so that's crucial for for what's going on right now yeah, especially in the town it's great that people go be. i mean we all know we all have bees and it's great and uh, we just need to remember that yeah honeybees are not always the ones that really need the help and it's all the other bees so not spraying and uh, monocultures uh, uh, are not always the solution, but uh, but yeah, cre- uh, keeping bees is is a lovely thing, and I hope. I mean, our friends at Flow Hive have done an amazing job. I mean, everyone can have a Flow Hive in their rooftop, and that's incredible because it takes all the fuss away about the extraction and all that. And we, it, it's just such a great product. It's just having that alongside people that actually want to feed these animals yes. and keep them going, and realize how important that is. And, yeah, that, that, that's actually incredible to to hear. You know, the, the people want to do the right thing. They're aware of their environment. They want to go. You know what? I want to do my bit. You know, and have some pollinators on their roof. But then there's too yeah. many. You know, if, to have five thousand hives uh, in London. You know, that's incredibly. Yeah. Um, you know, over, over the density is just uh, yeah. phenomenal. Like there's that's yeah. That's, it's a big. It's a big city. Yeah. Uh, it's a big city, but still, yeah, yeah, as you say. It's a lot, yeah. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Well, well um, yeah. I just want to say thank you so much, uh, Nick. You know, I mean, absolute legend. I really appreciate you coming on. And I know this time of year, oh, it's, yeah, it's absolutely, you guys are absolutely pumping busy with, you know, your springtime and, and so forth. So thank you so much for taking a bit of time out of your day and uh, and really got some really good uh, information there and learning about the honeys. You know, I took a heap on board, so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Ben, thanks so much. Thank you for your time. Thanks, mate. Yeah, lots of love to Australia. No, it's all. Thanks, mate. Thank you. <laughs> okay. And, and bye, I, I, bye, look, bye. I look forward to seeing you in uh, in Russia next year. In Russia. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> bye, Ben. Thanks, mate. Bye. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Take care.